What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. So many women on this podcast talk about how counseling has benefited them in the grieving process. So I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's an online counseling service that allows you to match with a licensed professional therapist that can access your needs through online chat, video call, or a phone call. Pretty incredible during a pandemic, if you ask me. It's a more affordable and accessible way to get counseling. Life After Miscarriage listeners will receive 10% off their first month when they sign up through my special link, betterhelp.com slash L-A-M for 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash L-A-M. Get matched with a counselor today. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have Rosie Taylor on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her and her journey. Rosie, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay, great. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say um, thank you again for having me on here. Um, What really made me want to do this is um, going through my second miscarriage. I discovered the podcast, so this was only a couple months ago, and it it was seriously such a godsend to me. Um, just hearing all these women who have also been through the same situation. And then also just hearing, I think, the relief of everybody being able to tell their story. And so I kind of wanted to do the same. So thank you for letting me do that. Well, I appreciate you feeling the pull. I couldn't do it without you guys. So (laughs) thank you. Yeah. Um, So I guess just a little bit about um, myself and my husband. We've been married for three years now, but we've been together for five and we are from Illinois originally, and that's where we met in just like a really small town. Um, and then another like really big part of us is we're both in the Air Force, and that's kind of a really big part of uh, my story as well, so I'll get to that a little bit later. And then we're also foster parents in North Dakota, which is where we live now. Um, so that's a really big part of our lives too. We don't really have um, kids in our home right now just because we're taking a little bit of a break after everything that's happened, but hopefully later this year we can um, get some more kids in our house. And then other than that, we just have two dogs that we love, so that's pretty much it for us. Um, as far as my story goes though, so my first loss was back in 2017 Um, We had actually only been married for two months before I found out that I was pregnant. And um, I actually, I didn't really notice that I was like really tired and I'd missed my period and everything, but Steven actually noticed and he really wanted me to take a test. And so I did um, and it was positive like right away. And he was so, so, so excited. Um, I remember he saw it and he just kept like pacing around the room saying like, I've never been a dad before. I've never been a dad before. And it was just like the sweetest moment. We were really excited, but um, he was definitely more excited than I was. I was really nervous because we had just gotten married and we were still pretty young. And so I was, you know, just really anxious, but I had called my best friend and I had told her um, that I need to come over and talk to her. And she's like, yeah, come over. So um, I get there and I just start crying and I'm like, Carly, I'm pregnant. And she's just like rubbing my back and she's like, it's okay. I'm pregnant too. 
And so it was like this really, really great moment for us because we'd always talked about raising our kids together. And she was due, I think, only two weeks um, ahead of me. And so we were so excited to like take all the bump pictures and have the matching onesies and just, you know, all of those things. So <clears throat> yeah, so I definitely got more excited um, after that. We told our parents and they were really excited for us. And so because we were super excited, we decided to announce really early. Like I think we announced like publicly at like eight weeks. And I don't think there's anything wrong with announcing early. I still don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I will say that at that time, I had literally never met anybody that had talked about having a miscarriage. And so I didn't know how common it was. Like it was never a thought in my mind that that was something that could happen to me. And so we announced early and we thought like everything would be fine. Um, in the meantime though, my mom actually had a massive heart attack. And so um, she, we didn't know whether or not she was gonna recover. She needed surgery and she like wasn't really coming out of the surgery the way that she should have been. So it was just a huge amount of stress for all of us. And then especially because I'm the oldest, I was the one that was kind of coordinating with everybody and doing everything. So it was just a lot of stress for me. And so now I kind of wonder if like maybe that had a part in it. Um, obviously I'll never know, which is, you know, that's kind of the hard part. But um, as, as she recovered and she did really great, um, something that we did as a family is we went out to Vegas together um, for her to get married to her husband. And it was, you know, really exciting. But Stephen and I had to fly home early because I had my first OB appointment. And back home, um, the OB won't see you until you're past 11 weeks. I do remember though, that on the plane, I kept getting up to go to the bathroom like over and over again because I just wanted to check and see. And I just kept sitting there praying like, okay, please don't let this be anything. Please let it stop. And um, when we got to Chicago, it had stopped. And so I'm like, okay, great. Like everything's fine. We're going to go to the doctor's appointment. No big deal. Like I didn't even, I didn't even tell Steven about it because I, I truly didn't think that it was a big deal. Um, so we go to the doctor's appointment and, um, you know, we're sitting there obviously excited and we go into the back room and <clears throat> she she immediately starts off with the transvaginal and she's just like looking and looking and in my head I'm like okay come on like I want to see the baby what's what's taking so long type thing and she looks at me and she's like how far along did you say we're again and I was like 11 weeks and five days and she's like are you sure and I was like yes I'm positive and she's like not really saying anything and I'm like like why what's going on and um, she turns the screen so I can see it. And she's like, honey, what I'm seeing here is only six weeks and three days. And I'm like, I, I still didn't get it. I think I was in denial, but I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, there's no way that I'm off by almost six weeks. Like, that doesn't make sense. And she's like, no, there's no heartbeat. And I'm still just like in shock, I think, and not really getting it. Like Steven's not really saying anything. And so she goes and gets the doctor and he confirms what she's saying. And um, he's like, okay, get dressed, come into the next room and we'll talk a little bit more about it. And so I'm like, okay. And I'm like crying at this point, but I'm not super upset because I'm just not getting it, I think. And then we go into the room and he walks back in and he's super old school, but he walks back in and he's like, 
So you've had a miscarriage, um, but your body doesn't recognize it yet, which is why you didn't know that this had happened. It's super common. It happens to one in four women. This doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. And in fact, I'm not going to explore the option that there's anything wrong with you until you've had more than three miscarriages. So at this point, all we can do is to get your body to pass it. And you have three different options, which as we all know, um, you can let it pass normally, you can take the medication, or you can get the DNC. And so I'm like, well, like I have to work. You know, I don't, I don't want to just wait for it to happen. What if it does happen at work? And so I just decided to take the medication. And um, he was like, okay, I'll fill it for you. And you can take it next Friday since you have to work this week. And then you'll be back to work that next Monday. And I'm like, I, I didn't know any better. So I'm like, okay, like, great. Um, so then obviously we had to go home and tell everybody. And I think that's when I first realized that it wasn't just our loss. It was our families as well. Um, and like Stephen had been really, really strong the whole time. But I remember when we told his mom and she started crying, then, you know, obviously it hit him as well. And I think that was just like the hardest thing was seeing everybody around me upset. Um, and then it got through, you know, that whole week we had to, we decided to put it on Facebook again because we had had friends who would see us in public and ask us about it, which was obviously really upsetting. And so we felt it was just easier to kind of de-announce. So we get to that Friday when I'm supposed to take the medication and I start getting really nervous about it because I don't really know what's going to happen. Like no one's really said anything. And so I had called the office and spoken to the nurse and I was just wondering if I could get some more information, you know, that type of thing. And um, she was like, well, I have a lot of patients right now. Like I'll have to call you back. And I'm like, okay, no problem. And she had never called me back. Um, so I had reached out to the doctor that I, that I worked for at the time and he was like, yeah, you know, this is what you need to watch out for. Um, go ahead and take the medication, though. If you have any questions, like give me a call type thing. And so I took the medication. And um, at first, you know, obviously, like nothing really happens. But then throughout the day, it got really bad. And I was alone that day because my husband was a firefighter at the time. And so he had to work 48-hour shifts. And he had just gone on shift that morning. So things start getting really bad. And one of the things that the doctor had said was if, um, if your clots get bigger than like a half dollar size, then you need to call me. And so, um, you know, finally things like start progressing, but these clots are like as big as my hand at this point. And I'm, I'm freaking out about it. I'm in so much pain. I'm feeling lightheaded. I'm like dripping sweat. I think probably just because I was stressed. And so finally I call my husband and I'm like, Hey, I know you're working, but I need you to come home. Like, I feel like something's wrong and I don't want to do this alone anymore. And he's like, okay, like I'll be right there. I just got to talk to my boss. And then, um, he actually called me back and he's like, I'm so sorry, but like, they won't let me leave. And that was just like horrible to me because I just felt like so alone. And so I called my mom and she came and got me and she was like, okay, like we need to go to the emergency room like this. I feel like this isn't normal. And, um, we go to the emergency room and at this point I'm just like clotting, like so heavily. I'm in so much pain. Like I can't, I, at this point I cannot talk through it and I have to, like, I have to wait for it to pass for a moment before I can talk. And this nurse is just asking me all of these questions. And I know that she was just trying to do her job, but in the moment it felt like she, 
didn't believe me that I was in so much pain. Um, I almost think that she thought that I was like looking for medicine or, or something of that sort. And it was just, it was like so frustrating to me. And she's asking me all these questions that I feel like don't matter in that moment. And then she finally asks how far along I was and then how far along the baby actually was. And I tell her, and from that moment on, it's like she really dismissed me because it was so early. And that was just so hard for me because it's like, I'm going through this really traumatic thing. I don't have my husband with me. And then this person that I'm turning to for help, it's like, she doesn't care. And she actually kept saying it at that point. And that was really hard for me because like, to me, that was my baby. And I'm going through like basically labor pains, you know, what I thought at the time and no one cares. And so that was like really hard for me. Um, they did eventually like help me out with the pain and everything. And, you know, my mom was with me, with me. So that was really great. And, you know, I went home and I did try to go to work on Monday, but like emotionally I wasn't ready and physically I wasn't ready. So I took some time off work and everything. Um, you know, as far as like our relationship goes, it really uh, took a hit at that time, Stephen and I, because once I was feeling better and everything, I decided like 100% I was ready to try again and we were going to have a baby right now. Like I did not want to wait to try and he really did. But another aspect of that is that when we originally found out that I was pregnant, we knew that we couldn't afford to have a family with the jobs that we had. And so he had decided to join the Air Force so we could have, you know, the good benefits and a steady paycheck and all those types of things. And so even afterwards, we decided that it was best if he went ahead with that plan and joined the Air Force. And so we knew that he was leaving and he actually left, I think, only like two months after the loss. And so I knew that we were on a timeline and I was like, no, I have to get pregnant before you leave. And he was just like, no, like, I'm not ready. Like, I'm still grieving. And at that point, I just would get so angry with him. It was like a switch had flipped. Like, like a year later, I, I apologized to him finally, because I finally had realized that the things that I was were saying were so horrible. Um, but I mean, obviously, like we did recover, we grew through it. And he did leave for the Air Force. But then there was all those feelings of being all alone again and I wasn't pregnant and so I really had time to actually focus on the grief and realize that I wasn't okay and I wasn't over the loss and so while he was gone um, I got you know really close with his family spent time with my family and you know I started feeling better and I decided that I was going to join the Air Force too and so then working on like my, the physical aspect of things like that really helped for me and then, you know, these past two years since then, we've just been working on our career, working on school, all those types of things. Um, and we've been doing really good. And then earlier this year, we finally decided, like we've been talking about a lot, we have a savings account, good jobs, maybe we should try again to have a baby. And to be honest, I wasn't even nervous or scared about it because what are the odds that it's going to happen again? is kind of what I thought. And so we decided to try. And so the next month that I ovulated, we tried, but literally the week after that, my boss had pulled me aside and was like, Hey, um, there's a chance that you're going to be deploying overseas in the end of April, or early May. And I was like, well, crap, like 
we can't try to have a baby right now because I want to deploy. So like, let's just see how this plays out. And if I don't go, then we'll try. And my husband was on the same page. Luckily, that deployment ended up not going through because then a couple weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, again, I didn't notice that I was like really late. I was just sitting at my desk and I was so tired that I actually like fell asleep for a moment and jerked awake. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, why am I so tired? I can't be doing this at work type of thing. And so um, I left and that's when I had checked my app and realized that I was late. So I decided to take a test and it was positive. And I um, video chatted my mom and she was super excited. And that's like kind of when the nervousness kicked in because I'm like, oh my gosh, like mom, what if this happens again? And she's like, no, it's not going to happen again. It's been two years. Like, you know, everything's fine. Like that was a once in a lifetime kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know? So I um, put it in like a little box and decided to tell Steven like really cute this time since last time I didn't really get to do that. And he was really, really excited. And um, the problem though, is that I was already having cramping that like in my back and just like period type cramps. And so as soon as my referral went through to go see an OB, I immediately called. And I mean, obviously they don't know me. They didn't, they weren't here for the last time, but they were so great about just listening to my history and realizing how concerned I was. And so they got me right in for an ultrasound and I was five weeks and three days and everything looked great. Like I was measuring exactly five weeks and three days. And it was just really exciting for us because we we're like, okay, everything's on track right now. This is really good. And I still wasn't really, I guess, like letting myself fall in love, or at least I told myself that because I'm like, well, it's, it's really early. So we still don't know what's going to happen. And so we kind of like put that block up a little bit, but we did tell our moms and we just kind of waited from there. And then in the midst of all this is when the coronavirus started like really kicking off. And so um, still having all the cramping, they had sent me in for a follow-up ultrasound at uh, seven weeks. So that way I could see whether or not there was a heartbeat and we could go from there. So we're walking into the hospital and Steven's with me and we get to the door and um, the nurse there turns Steven around and says, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't come with her. It's only the patient because of the coronavirus. And I'm just like, trying to hold back tears because I know she's just doing her job. I know it's the coronavirus, but to me, I was so anxious because I just kept playing the other ultrasound back in my mind. The very, the very first one we had had two years ago where we found out there wasn't a heartbeat. And I was so worried that that ultrasound was going to be the same thing. And she was like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I understand what you're saying, but he still can't come with you. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I go downstairs I'm waiting to be called back. And I remember I'm just, I'm sitting in the room and I just keep praying and I, I can't form words like actual prayer. So I just keep saying, please God, let there be a heartbeat over and over and over again. And the tech pulls me back and um, I lay down on the table and I just start bawling. Like she probably thought I was a crazy person, but I just start bawling and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm just so nervous. And she's like, okay, like, let's, let's just get started. And like, we'll see. And I'm like, okay. And so um, she's looking around like very, very briefly. And she's like, okay, do you want to see? And I'm like, like, yes, please. And so she turns the screen and she's like, there's your baby. And you see that little thing? There's its heartbeat. And 
it was just like this immediate sense of relief because I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're safe now because the last time we never got to see a heartbeat. And like I had been doing all this research about, oh, you know, if there's a heartbeat, then your chance significantly lessens that there's, you know, there's going to be a miscarriage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so great. But she says, the baby is measuring a little bit smaller, though. And also, um, there's some other things that the doctor will want to talk to you about. And I'm like, okay, no, no problem. Like, I'm, I'm feeling like on cloud nine right now. So I'm not really worried about anything that they're going to say. And um, a little bit later, the office calls and they're like, yeah, the baby is measuring a little bit smaller, but maybe you disobulated late. Like, we're not really sure. Um, you do have a subchorionic hematoma which just in case nobody, nobody knows like what that means, um, it's just like a little blood clot that forms on implantation and it's between the uterine lining and the fetus. And it's actually super common and it's not necessarily dangerous, um, but if it expands, it could cause a miscarriage because the fetus would actually separate from the uterine lining. At least that's how they explained it to me. Um, and they're like, but it's nothing to worry about. Like you don't have any extra precautions or anything this, you know, you're doing just fine. I'm like, okay, great. And so at that point, we decided to tell our best friends. We told our two foster daughters that we had at the time, and they were super excited. And so it's like, we really just allowed ourselves to, at that point, just get even more excited and really start planning more. And um, my cramping had actually gone away a little bit at that point or at least lessened. And then we got to 10 weeks and my cramping came back. And then I started noticing some brown spotting. And everyone always says that brown spotting is fine. It's old blood. It's not really anything to be concerned about. And so that's what I, what the mindset I kind of had. And also it could have been because of the um, subchorionic hematoma. So I wasn't really concerned about it, which, you know, obviously like I kick myself for now. I know that there's nothing that I I could have done about it at the time, but I do wish that I had like not waited that extra day and would have called. Um, but I did call the doctor's office finally and told them what was going on. And they're like, they said the same things, you know, it's brown blood, it's no big deal, but we'll still get you in for an ultrasound just in case. And so I was really appreciated. I really appreciated that. And so again, coronavirus. So I knew I was gonna have to go on alone. So I didn't even ask Steven to take off work or anything. I just went by myself. And um, honestly, even at that point, I literally thought that they were just going to show me the baby. And then they were going to be like, you worry too much, you're just fine. So I wasn't, I wasn't really stressed. Like I was anxious about the aspect of like going into the room. But for the most part, I, I thought they would tell me that everything was fine. So I go into the room, I'm not freaking out this time. And she's looking around. And the way that she has the screen angled this time, I can already see what she's doing. And I see her measure the baby and I see that the crown rump length says seven weeks and three days. And I'm like, hmm, that can't be right. So she measure, measures it again. And I'm still thinking like, this can't be right, this can't be right, but I'm still not freaking out. And then I see her do the heartbeat measurement and nothing flits across, like it's just a flat line. And so I ask her, I'm like, is there a heartbeat? And she just grabs my arm and she looks at me for a couple seconds and she's like, I'm so sorry. 
and I'm like, well, are you going to do a transvaginal, like, just to see? And she's like, honey, I can do that for you if you want me to, but it's not going to change the result. And so at that point, like, I just lose it. And she's like, all right, I'll be right back. I just have to make sure that we have what we need and then you can go. So I'm just sitting there and I try to call my mom when I'm in the room and she doesn't answer. And then the tech comes back and she's like, okay, you can leave. And at this point, I'm, everyone in the hospital probably thought I was crazy or something because I'm just like crying so hard that I can barely see. And I get out to the car, I call my mom again. She still doesn't answer. I know Steven's not going to answer because he doesn't have his phone. So I text him and I'm like, hey, just call me when you get a chance. But I fully expected not to see him until eight o'clock that night when he got home. I called my best friend. She didn't answer. And so I'm just like, oh my gosh, like at this point, like I can't drive. I'm just so upset. So I'm just sitting there trying to calm down. And then my supervisor texted me and she was like, hey, how are things going? Because she kind of knew what was going on and she just wanted me to keep her updated. So I called her and I'm like, hey, this is what's happening. And she's like, oh my gosh, like Taylor, I'm so sorry. Do you need me to come get you? And I'm like, no, like I'll be fine. Just like give me a few minutes and everything. And she's like, what else do you need? Like, what can I do for you? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. Like, I'm really fine. And she's like, is Steven with you? And I'm like, no. And she's like, well, when will he be home? And I'm like, not until tonight. And she's like, okay, well, just let me know if you need anything. And I start crying even harder because like, why would she do that? Why would she be so nice to us? And I'm like, no, like he's going to be so embarrassed. Like, I don't want him to pull him out of training. It's really important. And she's like, no, nothing is more important than you right now. She's like, he needs to come home to you. And so um, that's why when I say that the Air Force is like such a big part of our story, we've had so many amazing people be there for us this time around because of the Air Force. And it's just been so amazing. Um, but finally, again, I'm almost home and the doctor calls and he's like, I'm so sorry that the tech told you that there was no heartbeat. And I'm like, no, like you don't have to apologize. It's not her fault. I asked her and I could see the screen. Like it's not her fault. And he's like, okay, well, um, I don't want you to make any decisions right now. Um, I know you've had this in the past. Like, are you familiar with your options? And I was like, yes, I am. And I know that I'm not taking the medication this time. That was way too traumatic for me. I refuse to do that. And he's like, okay. He's like, we can get the surgery scheduled for you, but I want you to talk to your husband first. And I want you to call back and let me know if that's what you want. Um, Cause I want to give you that time to think and talk about it. And so I really appreciated that because it was so different than the last time when he comes in and is like, here's your options. You need to choose one. So this doctor was just so amazing. And, um, Later, I did call back and we scheduled the surgery for the next week when Stephen could be with me and everything. And then finally, um, it took a few hours, but they did get Stephen home. And I've, I really felt like so bad for him because um, he said that they stopped training. They pulled everyone out, like the whole team. And as soon as they pulled the whole team out, Stephen was like, I, I knew that something had happened because you were going for your ultrasound today and they would never stop training for us. And so um, his commander, a chaplain, and the first sergeant, which is like the person that tries to help everybody out, um, all came to pick him up, which the fact that the commander actually went out says a lot because obviously they're really busy people. Um, so we really appreciated that as well, that they were all 
you know, so there for him. And so understanding, because I honestly thought that they were going to be mad that they had to stop training, but they were like, no, take as much time as you need, go home, be a husband, you can be an airman later. And so that was like a huge relief for me because I didn't have to go through it alone this time. Um, and so we just spent the weekend together and just talked about everything. And um, the, the surgery was on Wednesday, but Tuesday night late, I started getting the cramps. And it was, you know, at first every 10 minutes, every seven minutes, you know, it keeps going down and down. We finally get to the morning and it's horrible. And we call the nurse advice line that we get through our insurance. And we're like, okay, should we go in even though we have the surgery? Like, what should we do? Because I'm not supposed to be eating or drinking right now. So it's not like I could take any pain medicine or anything. And she was like, yes, you need, you need to go to the emergency room. So we decided to go in and it got worse on the way, but I still wasn't bleeding or anything. And um, I'm, I walk in and I'm checking in at the window and I'm, I'm telling them, I'm having a miscarriage and I need to be seen. And as I'm checking in and I'm saying that, right next to me is this woman and her husband. And she has, you know, her nine-month pregnant belly. And she's like, oh, we're here to check in for a scheduled C-section. And it just really hit both of us that, like, this was the worst day of our lives. And this was the happiest day of theirs. And like, oh my gosh, like, what are the odds, you know, that this would happen? But um, they pull me back. And again, they won't let Steven come. They actually send him home because he can't come back. And they put me in the room and they literally only ask me my name, my birthday, if I'm allergic to anything. And then they automatically get me pain medicine and are trying to keep me comfortable. And they're not asking me all of these ridiculous questions. And they're saying like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Like, we just want to help you. What can we do? And it was just such a different experience. And they tell me, okay, we're going to keep you down here until your surgery today. And then we'll send you upstairs for the DNC. And so I stay there. Um, and then it comes time to go upstairs and this CNA comes in and he goes to help me out of bed. And I didn't realize at this time that I had started bleeding and clotting. And so I go to stand up and it's just all over the bed. And I'm just so embarrassed at this point because I feel like I'm giving them more work. Like I feel like disgusting. I'm just so embarrassed. And I like sit down in the chair and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that I was bleeding. And I just like put my head down and cry. And he's like, ma'am, and I don't, I don't look at him. And he puts his hand on my arm and he says, ma'am, look at me. And I, so I look at him and he's like, I'm so sorry that you're going through this, but there's no need to be embarrassed. We're here for you. And so it's like in that moment, like when somebody's nice to you, it just makes you cry even harder. Um, but obviously I really appreciated that. And then um, it comes time for the DNC and everyone's just really kind and we get, we get through it and I get done with it. And it was such a relief to me, honestly, because just everything was over. I didn't have any pain anymore. And at this point I could just go home and recover and not have to worry about all of the bleeding and the pain. And, um, it was just so much better for me. And so I went home and, um, at this point I realized that maybe I wasn't over the first loss. Like I thought I was and so it's just like everything was combining and it's just started hitting me like really hard and I just started thinking kind of like all these horrible thoughts specifically about myself because I'm just thinking like 
you know, because we are foster parents, I'm like, why can we be good enough to take care of other people's children, but I'm not good enough to have my own? And maybe this is my fault. Like maybe I caused this because I get too stressed out or because I drank a soda or, you know, it's like that blame game that we all play when something like this happens. And, you know, everything just kept hitting me. And it got to the point where I realized um, I did spend a lot of time alone because my husband was back in training. And so he works like 14, 16 hour days. And so I was alone a lot just with my thoughts. And so I started realizing that I wasn't sleeping. If I did sleep, it was like for an hour or two and it was all interrupted sleep during the day. Like I wasn't eating, I was only crying or I was zoning out on something or I was getting angry with my husband. Like it was nothing. It wasn't, it wasn't healthy. And so I decided to um, reach out to a therapist and um, start talking to them about it. And it, it really helped me so much. And I wish that I would have done it the first time so I could get all of these feelings out into the open and deal with all this stuff. And so um, I'm doing much better now, thankfully. And I feel like we can start like moving forward and working on things. But for a while, I was just in a really, really horrible place. Um, there's a lot of positives though, I guess. Um, originally, I was told that we wouldn't be able to get any testing or anything because it's only been two miscarriages, but uh, my doctor finally decided that they would at least do blood work for now, which is something that they refused to do before, so that's really good. Um, I'm a little disappointed because the blood work all came back normal. Um, they tested for Factor V and Van Willebrands, um, which are both clotting, and then thyroid and lupus, and they all came back normal. And it's not that I want something to be wrong with me, but I just wanted an answer on why this happened. Um, so I do go back to the doctor in June, and hopefully we can talk about our options more. But he said that even if we can't do any more testing, that he will monitor this next pregnancy really closely um, with like very frequent ultrasounds and frequent labs. So um, we're just kind of, you know, still recovering, I guess, and just deciding like when we want to move forward with trying again. But um, honestly, I feel in a really, really good place right now. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm just so thankful that our situation this time was so different. Yeah, like in the sense of the Air Force and all the support and even your doctors too. It sounds like a completely different experience, which is really nice. Yeah, 100%. And we've had so many people, like, again, like, in the military, you don't necessarily get super close with people because everyone leaves all the time. Yeah. Um, but even the people that we're not super close with, like, have offered to, like, bring us meals or just, like, stop by or, you know what I mean, just have been super helpful and sweet. And so that's been really, really good. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you're going to have to keep us posted. Um, you guys are still in the trenches and I appreciate you sharing so much because most of the listeners are still in the trenches as well. So it's super relatable and it's going to be so healing for other people to hear. And I hope it was healing for you as well. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you had like one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? I would say to own your mental health and to not feel obligated to put yourself in situations that hurt your mental health. Because I know I have a lot of friends that are pregnant right now 
and they want to talk about it, you know, every day, a couple of times a day. And I want to be there for them because, you know, I love them and they're my good friends, but it was getting to the point where I felt very anxious and upset about it. And so I had to take a step back for, for my own mental health. And I don't feel like those of us that have gone through loss should have to feel obligated to talk about pregnancy or go to baby showers, go to birthday parties. If it makes you uncomfortable, then you should be allowed to take a step back. Yes, 100%. Are your friends like supportive of that? Um, It was hard at first because, you know, we are super close, but I mean, our friendship, I think is strong enough to get past it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they were a little hurt at first, but they definitely understand. Good. Good. Now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, I'm on Instagram, um, Rosara Taylor. So R-O-S-A. U-R-A, Taylor. And yes, definitely please reach out. Um, When people do reach out, it helps me so much too. So not even just for your sake, but I'm definitely open to talk anytime. I agree. I always get messages that's like, sorry to bother you. I'm like, no, please. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I really enjoy this. Please bother me. Uh, so yes, girls reach out. That's what this community is all about. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story this morning. It means a lot. And like I said, it's going to help so many people and hopefully you felt it there as well. So I just really appreciate it. And like I said, you're going to have to keep us posted. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon, Rosie. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Just